The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa. Buddhang dhammang sankhang namatsami ito parang sakajang dhammo sotapoti. So, good morning again. It's nice to see some people, some people here. It's very good. Um, it's very good to see actual you know, phys physical people and not just be talking talking to a camera. Uh, I appreciate you giving up your Sunday morning to actually uh, listen to the Dhamma and sort of improve your mind, improve your life. So, what I uh, was sort of thinking about during the week and, and sort of a question that always always comes up every time you basically do any kind of Dhamma session or you lead a meditation is, you know, I can't seem to keep control of my mind. Uh, what, what should I actually do? It's my mind seems to be jumping all over the place. Uh, how do I tame the monkey mind? And, you know, we've all, anybody that's practiced, even if you're new or you've been doing it for a long time, this is this is a very very common occurrence. We've all had uh, times where we've tried to practice meditation, and the mind just seems much too active. So, you know, what do we do in these times? What do we do when the mind feels maybe you know too agitated or worried, or could be the other side of things? It could be very excited. It could be overjoyed, and it just doesn't seem to settle down. What do we do when the mind is you know much too active? You could say. So, what I want to talk about today is actually how we actually use our active mind to uh, you know, calm the mind down or we use our active mind to as a as a means for us to practice meditation and this process is is something that we that we call our wisdom developing samadhi and this was a this was a term coined by a very famous meditation teacher in Thailand named uh, Lungtamahabua and what we do when we when we use wisdom to develop samadhi is we develop a particular kind of particular uh, 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 faculty, a particular kind of skill called uh, dhamma vichaya, um, and dhamma vichaya basically means basically means in the investigation of the of the dhamma. Um, it's one of the seven enlightenment factors. It's the second one after mindfulness. First one's mindfulness. The second one is dhamma vichaya or investigation dhamma, and there's effort. And so, a few weeks ago, you might remember if you uh, happen to listen to some of my talks, I did talk about uh, uh, effort. I talked about virya, and so I was, uh, you know, uh, I, I got I got a very good recommendation to actually talk about dhamma vichaya from from one of the the the, the uh, illustrious sound crew here. So I, I thought, yeah, actually, that's quite a good thing to to talk about. So I will today. I'll go over exactly what Dhamma Vichaya is. This this faculty of investigating the Dhamma, what it actually is, you know, how we develop it. What are the, some of the things that we can that we can actually investigate, and what 
basically what we should be getting from our practice of developing Dhammavich here. So just to start off with exactly what is Dhammavichaya then. So as I said, it's this, it's usually translated as investigation of the Dhamma, but there's a few other translations. There's like a translation that is like discrimination of Dhamma, uh, discrimination of states, uh, investigation of the doctrine, even to the point it sometimes is translated as, as searching for truth. So, but the, the, the most well-known translation of it is investigation of Dhamma. So what is it actually then that you're investigating? And what it's commonly understood to be seen to be investigating is uh, Nama Rupa. Or, and what Nama Rupa is, is uh, uh, materiality and mentality, or, or in effect, mind and body. Um, it's also known... Uh, also known as an investigation, you could say investigation of Dhamma, it's also an investigation of states of the mind as well. The Buddha said, the Buddha said that when we investigate states, we, we develop Dhammavichya in this way, and investigation of states, we develop the investigation of uh, wholesome and unwholesome states, um, blameless and blameworthy states, uh, inferior states and superior states. And what that means is, like an inferior state is if the mind is sort of murdered in like greed, hatred or delusion and, and a superior state is where maybe the mind's in uh, like uh, elated kind of samadhi states or something. And or we can we can investigate the states of like uh, uh, good or, or bad states that are in the mind. So another way of understanding Dhammavichaya then is not just that it's not just investigating uh, mind and body or investigating states, but also another one is that we investigate some kind of Dhamma themes. We investigate the doctrine in some way, they investigate the Dhamma. So in effect, Dhammavichaya can be either investigation of states or it can be investigation of, of, of mind and body or it can be investigation of 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 some kind of dhamma theme so why why then actually is dhammavichya important why is it important to actually investigate the dhamma why is it important to develop this well dhammavichya and this pra this practice of developing uh, insight into the dhamma and and investigating the dhamma is just as important as any other skill that we actually develop in meditation as I said a few weeks ago, I talked about developing effort in the practice, and you know, you could say like like half the world has probably talked now about the development of mindfulness. So there's no need for me to really talk about developing mindfulness anymore than what's already been talked about. But developing dhammavichya, it's another skill that we should actually be developing as part of our practice. So it should be a skill we're developing as part of our formal practice. If we can learn to develop. Dhammavichaya properly, this is what actually leads towards the other enlightenment factors. Uh, as I said, we, if we develop right mindfulness and we develop Dhammavichaya, we, inve we investigate the Dhamma properly and we also develop right effort, this is the thing that leads to the other enlightenment factors. This is what leads to uh, uh, rapture. This is what leads to tranquility. This is what leads to uh, samadhi. This is what leads to uh, equanimity. So 
developing this faculty of Dhammavichya, it's a really important part of your formal practice as well. It's not just maybe something that you sort of, you know, do as you're driving your car around and investigating things as impermanent. It's actually, it is a part of your formal practice and it is, it's, it's just as important as developing, as developing something like, like mindfulness. And so the reason then that we develop Dhammavichya is because it not only allows us to you know, gain some wisdom, gain some understanding into the Dhamma, but it actually, what it should be leading to, as I said, these other enlightenment factors, so it should be leading you towards calm. It should be leading you towards pitti, pasadi, samadhi, and nupeka, or you know, rapture, tranquility, and concentrated stillness, and, and equanimity. It should be leading you towards these these kinds of uh, faculties of minds as well. So Dhammavichya developed right is a kind of developing a kind of wisdom that is leading to samadhi. So on the surface level, you might think of Dhammavichya and you might think, well, this is, okay, I'm investigating the Dhamma. This is something that I'm thinking about. And so I'm using analytic thought. So, uh, you know, this is just me thinking about something. But if you're developing Dhammavichya properly, it should be leading you more, more and more towards calm. Um, and the more calm that you develop in your mind through the practice of Dhammavichya, the, the deeper level and um, deeper levels of profound insight you'll actually have around that. So, how then do we actually develop Dhammavichya then? Um, before I sort of get on to maybe like some of the things that like some of the particular kinds of themes and things like that, you can uh, uh, investigate the what is. But the point I want to make that was something that's a little bit more important instead of what you look at is how you actually develop Dhammavichya or how you investigate something. The how of investigating Dhammavichya is a, is a quality that the Buddha talked about. It's called, and this is called wise reflection or yoniso manasika. And the development of Wall's reflection, this is like this is like a kind of systematic reflection that is developed through having uh, right mindfulness. If you have right mindfulness and you're able to develop your wise reflection properly, it's systematic, it becomes systematic, it becomes focused, it becomes, there's a kind of, there's a boundary to it. There's not, it's not just thinking about things all over the place. If you are just like thinking about things all over the place, this is ayoniso manasika, which is, you know, like unwise reflection, unsystematic. This is, this is the mind that's sort of like muddled and just thinking all over the place. So it's not, the most important thing is not what you investigate, but the most important thing is how you investigate. So how is it then like, so how do we actually know then that we're actually developing wise reflection or, or as opposed to unwise reflection? How do we know then that we're actually developing Dhammavichya with, with right mindfulness as opposed to just, you know, just sort of like randomly thinking about something? When you're, when you're actually developing Dhammavichya and, it, and it's working in this right kind of way, it has this kind of like, it's like you're locked on to some kind of theme. It has this kind of focus. It has this kind of power. It has this kind of strength. It has this kind of direction that it's moving towards. 
And what it's actually moving towards is it's moving closer and closer towards calm. It's leading closer towards like a clarity of the theme that you're investigating. It's leading to closer towards this kind of deep epiphanistic experience and deep understanding of this theme that you're actually trying to develop. The, you know, the analogy I like to give or the metaphor I like to give, it's, it's like when you're, in, when you're truly involved in Dhamma Vichaya or you're truly investigating the Dhamma properly, it's like being uh, stuck in a whirlpool. Um, this is something that I've, this happened to me before. It's a story for another time, but if you think about what a, a whirlpool is and what happens when you get stuck in a whirlpool, you, you know, it starts off very broad. It might start off very broad, but you get sort of like sucked into a current and you start spinning around and around. And the, every, every like circumambulation you make, every time you spin around, the current gets stronger and stronger and it sucks you in closer and closer and closer until it gets to this point where, you know, you're spinning around so fast that it sucks you under the water. And so actually developing Dhammavichya, it's like this. It's like you might start out with a very with a very broad kind of theme, but it's the more you do it, the more power you actually get. It keeps pulling you in. There's more strength, there's more focus, there's more clarity until it gets down to this point where it can suck you down. And when you hit that point, that's when you drop into like a very, very deep state of calm. And so this is what this is what your Dhammavichya should be leading towards. This is the way that it that should be going. Whereas if you Look at it on the other side of things. If you're trying to develop Dhammavichya and the mind is still sort of, you know, muddled and jumping all over the place and, and sort of everything sort of unsystematic kind of thing and you're trying to investigate but the mind's like jumping everywhere and it's not leading to calm, then you're not really developing Dhammavichya in the right kind of way. That's developing Dhammavichya with... It's not really developing Dhammavichya. It's it's you're engaged in, uh, you know, unwise reflection, and so if we if we sort of keep you know track the metaphor of the torrential, you know, being stuck in torrential waters kind of thing. This is this is more like if you're like stuck in rapids and you're just getting thrown around everywhere and uh, you're bobbing up and bobbing down and you're smashing into rocks. And again, this is something that I've actually done, but it's a Again, story for another time. Um, so the, if you're doing Dhammavichya, you're investigating the Dhamma, and you're still very sort of unsystematic and it's bumping all over the place, then this is not really going, going in, the, in the right direction. So you know, now that we've sort of talked about how we develop this and what you should be sort of you know, aiming towards and how it should be going, is we're what... What are then some of these things that we can investigate? What's, you know, practically, what are some of the things that you can do? How do you practically develop this quality? Well, as I, as I said before, it's like developing Dhammavichya, it is actually, it should actually be part of your, your formal practice, your actual practice that you do. Again, it's not just this thing that you do in your daily life. You should be trying to do it as part of your formal practice. So, um, so that should be part of your when you actually you know sit meditation or you walk meditation. Should be you should be developing this skill as part of that. So, this is you know a, a good rule of thumb that I, you know, that 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 I learned when I was sort of starting to practice a lot and practicing a lot in this tradition. 
was that it's it's good to develop calm in the mind when you're when you're having periods of sitting because it's 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 a bit easier to develop calm when you're sitting with your eyes closed, and then when you're walking, that's a good time to develop dhammavichya. But this is this is just a general rule of thumb. Obviously, you can still develop dhammavichya when you're when you're actually sitting. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a good sort of rule of thumb. So, what are some of the things then that we actually can Look at what are some of the dumber things we can look at. Well, if we think back to okay, what actually is dhammavichya? It's again, it's this, it's this, uh, this process of investigating uh, states or uh, investigating the mind and investigating matter or form or the body. So, the most obvious thing actually to look at is to investigate this body that we've got now. I I know uh, just you know just from you know sort of the years of like teaching people, some people have a bit of a resistance to like looking at the body and investigating the body. Um, there's the the sort of the the kind of uh, the, the initial kind of reaction of like, oh, I got into meditation because I want to be you know happy. I want to develop kindness. I you know I want to you know I want to understand the mind. I want to let everything go. And it's like well, that you know that is you know there's. That's that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But I uh, I just want to stress that we actually, re- as part of our practice, we really shouldn't overlook investigating the body. It's it's such a fundamental and foundationally important thing to do. That when you look, when you listen to the like that, you could say like the great enlightened masters of our time, all of them recommend investigating the body. This is the this is the fundamental thing that all of them teach, and all of them, uh, all of them, or most of them, most of them say actually, they continue to keep investigating the body even up to the third stage of enlightenment, which is something we call anagami, and because the this third stage of enlightenment, this is the this is the it's only at this stage is where you actually let go of rupa, where you let go of form. And so even when these enlightened beings, even when they reach the first level of enlightenment, they're still investigating the body all the way up until that point. So, so don't think that it's a practice that it's, that it's, you know, it's just a sort of like a basic practice and you, you know, don't have to do it. It's, it's actually, it can be a very, very deep and very profound practice of actually investigating the body. So you know, practically then, what are some of the things we can do when we investigate the body? You know, well, if we look at you know, if we look at the Satipatthana Sutta, if we look at the Satipatthana Sutta, the first foundation of mindfulness, the, the the very first one is looking at the body, investigating the body, and the Buddha recommended as part of that we can do uh, invest, uh, 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 looking at the breath, uh, observing the breath, anapanasati, but he also recommended that we can observe the body in its different postures, uh, seated. Uh, Standing, walking, and lying down. We can observe the body moving through different, you know, courses throughout the day, kind of thing. We can also do things like uh, observing the constituent elements of the body. Uh, but something that's very that's very good to do, and it's, it shouldn't be overlooked, is actually looking at the different parts of the body. Um, and what do I mean by that? Well, a good thing to actually look at is we, when we look at the parts of the body, we can look at the different, we can 
the, these external parts of the body to give us an idea. Say, for example, the hair of the head, the hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin. This is something that w each monastic is actually given on your ordination day. They have to give you that meditation object as part of your ordination. Uh, so it's it's such a it's so fundamental a a, a a meditation object that it's actually given on the day that you're ordained. So this is this is a very this is actually like a very good practice because usually when we attached to people and things in the world we sort of look at someone we go oh well that's a that's a that's a beautiful person that's a handsome person but when we look at these different parts of the body hair of the head hair of the body nails teeth skin we start to look at that a little bit more objectively and we start to you know you could say examine it in more detail we start to realize these things that we think are innately beautiful or, in, or, or, or attractive in any kind of way, when we look at them more objectively, they sort of start to lose their power. If you say, for example, one of your hairs fall out and it falls into your food, it's, you, ugh, this thing looks it's just sort of disgusting. It's like, oh, I want to get rid of that. But when it's on your head, you think, oh, this is so great. I love my hair. This is awesome. Or, you know, say, for example, if I, I went to the dentist a little while ago and they pulled a tooth out and it was like, one, it was awful that they pulled the tooth out. But when I looked at it, it's like, oh, it just looks sort of disgusting kind of thing. Or you shave your beard and there's all hair everywhere. It's like you start to look at these things and you start to get a bit more of a picture. While these things are attached to you, you think that they're good. But as soon as they become, uh, 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 you, you get rid of them, there's, they're, not so, they're not so attractive anymore. And so even things like your skin and things like that, it starts to change. It starts to get you know, wrinkly and old. I'm getting, I'm getting like the crow's feet or whatever they're called. I'm getting sort of saggy under here. It's like, so we can use these investigating these different parts of the body to develop wisdom into the Dhamma. Another thing that the Buddha recommended as part of the first foundation of mindfulness is to develop uh, recollection of our, of our own death, uh, recollection of our own mortality. And the Buddha recommended that we look at you know, the different stages that we, we go through once the body has passed away, the different stages of you know, decomposition and how the body actually changes. And so you think, you know, we're very, very attached to this body now, but at some point we're going to have to let it go. And when we do let it go, you know, it's, there's, it's not really something that we want to hold on to or keep because it goes through these different stages. Now, for me, in saying all this, you might sort of, you know, might sort of have this thing in the back of your mind coming up of like, oh, well, if I start investigating, you know, the body as something as inherently, you know, not not so beautiful or repulsive, or I start to think about my own, my own death and all these kinds of things, won't this make me morbid? Won't this make me sort of depressed and all these kinds of things? Well, not. You, it's, it's, while there is, there can be, you have to be careful. You do have to be careful when you do these kinds of practices just to notice if the mind is sort of moving into that kind of, uh, you know, morbid kind of states, then you sort of pull back from it. But really what these practices actually can lead you towards is more having more clarity and uh, more dispassion towards the material form, these things in the world. As Buddhists, we're always talking about, oh, I'm a Buddhist, I don't attach to material things in the world, I don't attach to my car or my house or you know, all these kinds of things. So, but actually looking 
investigating the body and investigating investigating this uh, uh, factor that we will actually pass away at some point. This is the thing that really gets it the, 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 the main material thing that we're attached to, and that's the body. The more we can do that, the more dispassion you have, the more detachment you actually have from things in the material world. So it's such an important, it's such an important thing to do. But then it also it really, you know, it actually can bring about these deep levels of dispassion and deep levels of calm as well if you do if you do investigate the body in these things in this right way of Dhammavichya that is actually leading to calm. It leads to a lot of uh, very clear insight. So don't overlook this because a lot of the times we the kind of resistance maybe that we have to investigating the body, we don't want to sort of look at my hand and go, oh, it's getting like wrinkly. Oh, I'm getting old. It's, oh, there's some liver spots there, and so or, or I don't, I don't want to sort of investigate, you know, the 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 fact that my body is changing and it's 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 inherently not as great as I thought it was, or we or we don't want to sort of face this factor of that actually my body will pass away at some point. The reason a lot of us don't do this is not because we think we're like trying to trying to like develop some higher dhamma the reason we don't want to do this most of the time is because we're afraid we're afraid of these things and in effect what you're actually afraid of is you're afraid of yourself you're afraid of your own experience you're afraid of your own life and what what is actually where your life will lead to so don't overlook these practices they're they're a very very helpful thing to actually have but you know keeping keeping on the dhamma vichaya theme there's obviously yeah there's the rupa the form that you can uh investigate the body but then there's also like there's nama as well there's the 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 the, the mental states the mind states and if you remember the buddha said we can investigate uh, wholesome and unwholesome mind states blameless and blameworthy states, uh, inferior and superior states, and good and evil states in the mind. Um, and so, again, to investigate the different kinds of states in the mind, again, we look at something like the Satipatthana Sutta, we look at the third foundation of mindfulness, where we're looking at the, you know, looking at the factors of the mind. This could be things like looking at greed, hatred, and delusion in the mind. Uh, these are the inferior states, or you could be looking at the superior kinds of states, like samadhi and, um, you know, clarity and insight kind of thing. Or we can look at the, the fourth Satipatthana, um, the fourth foundation, where we look at aspects of the Dharma, say for example, like we investigate the hindrances or we investigate the kind of uh, mental uh, aggregates of the mind, the uh, memory, thoughts and, and consciousness. Now, like doing these things, there's the, the, you know, they're, they're a part of the practice and uh, they're, they are a good thing to, to uh, investigate as, as a part of Dharma Vichya. But just sort of the caveat that I want to put on those on those things. As I said, the great, sort of like the great enlightened masters have all said it's like they continue to investigate the body up to the level, the third level of enlightenment. And it's only really after that third level of enlightenment where they really do start to look into the mind a lot more. So, and the reason they do, they say to do this is because, you know, the mind is tricky. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to look to understand your own delusion 
because if you do this and you don't really have a good level of like samadhi and mindfulness, you can you can fall for the tricks of the mind. And what I mean by that is like, say for example, you're trying to investigate the the inherent greed that you have in your own mind, or you're investigating, you're trying to investigate the thoughts that you have in your mind. The problem with this is that you're always looking out through this thing to look back at it. So if you're trying to investigate your own greed, you're, you're, you're looking out through your greed and then looking back at it. So it's like your greed sort of actually modulating the way that you look at your own greed. So you can fall for the tricks of the mind pretty easily. Whereas if you, if you have a, like a good foundation of the body, it's, like, it's really hard to get deluded by the body. It's like, you know, you cut your nails off and throw them on the, on the, on the, on the, like on the table there. It's like, well, okay, that's, they're sort of, they're not so great. You know, you look at, you actually look at your skin and all these kinds of things. It's, it's harder to get sort of uh, tricked, tricked by these things. So not to say that you can't look at these aspects of the mind. It's, you know, obviously you do this as part of your practice, but it's really good to have a good foundation in the body as well. It's, it's, uh, we, um, it's your practice will progress a lot better if you, you have, have this kind of balance of looking at the body as well as looking at some of these, these states of the mind. So how then, how is it then you could say, how, how, how is it then we know when we should be developing, looking, say for example, looking more at the body, or we should know when we should look at the mind, or you know, how do we know when we should be developing Dhamma Vichaya, we should be trying to develop a little bit more wisdom, or when we should be actually trying to you know, develop more calm or something like that in the mind. Well, as I said at the start of the talk, uh, you know, we can develop Dhammavichya when the mind is very, very active to try to calm the mind down. And remember, it's, your Dhammavichya should be leading towards calm. So if you've sat down to meditate and you've you know, hooked onto some kind of Dhamma theme and it's leading to calm, then this is, this is the right time to be you know, doing Dhammavichya. But say the other side of that is say, okay, the mind's very active and you decide to do Dhammavichya, but if it is still... Uh, jumping all over the place. Remember, like I said, it's still you're still just involved in thinking. You're still just your your the mind is more uh, unwise reflection, or it's sort of like caught in the rapids kind of thing. If you're doing that kind of dhamma richia and it's not really working, well, then maybe you should switch to like calm. Just try to focus your mind on one thing. So. We we sort of have to try to try to balance this as much as as much as we possibly can. We have to try to know when the right time to do both of these both of these kinds of practices are. It's oh sorry. Uh, just before I move on to that, uh, another another way. Sorry, we can actually use Dhammavichaya is or and you could say like the main way that we should be using Dhammavichaya and we should be using this process of wisdom developing samadhi is when when our mind does become calm through some kind of practice say you watch it you're observing the breath or something like that when the mind does drop down into like this level of calm once you've sort of stayed in that level of calm for a little while the mind will naturally start to come out of that and you'll start to you move more into this kind of you know normal normal thinking state or whatever 
And when the mind does come out of this level of calm, this is when we can move towards using developing Dhammavichaya at that time. Because as I said, remember, your development of Dhammavichaya should lead you towards more calm. So we have this kind of like symbiotic nation, uh, relationship with like having calm in the mind and when the mind is calm and it comes out, it has this kind of power and it has this clarity and it has this uh, you know, sort of focus of the mind that we can and when we do investigate some kind of Dhamma theme, we see it with more clarity, we see it with more wisdom, we see it with more understanding because the mind is more focused from being calm. And again, the more we develop Dhamma Vichyo, the more we develop that kind of wisdom, it, the mind will sort of drop into more and more calm. So these two practices, they really support each other. Now, that's not to say that whenever the mind's calm, you go, oh, great, this is the time to develop Dhamma Vichyo. I should sort of investigate a Dhamma theme as soon as my mind becomes calm. No, I'm you know, not saying that. Like, again... Try to let the mind stay in this level of calm. And then when it just naturally comes out itself uh, and the mind st does start to think again in that more normal sense, that's when you develop that. Uh, again, you don't try to force this too much. Uh, and likewise, on the other side, don't try to force your Dhamma Vichya, the investigation of Dhamma, into calm and thinking, I just have to keep like thinking about this Dhamma theme and eventually I'm going to get calm. And blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, don't, don't go that extreme either. Again, it's this very, very nice, natural, symbiotic relationship that you have between the two where, where the mind can become calm and when it rests in that calm, you gain strength and power. And then when it comes out, you use that strength and power to develop your investigation into the Dhamma, which will allow you to see this theme that you're looking at in much more clarity and that will make you drop again into samadhi. So we really have to develop these things together. And this is the main benefit of developing Dhamma Vichya. You're developing a balanced practice. A lot of times, you know, we, you know, we might hear different teachers say, oh, all you need is vipassana, or, or all you need is to, you know, investigate, investigate the mind or investigate the nature of the sense of self, or, uh, and, or you could just do a, do a koan and, and you could think about this thing or read a Dhamma passage and you, you'll become enlightened kind of thing. And mm, that's, a, that's, that's, that's a bit limited. But, you know, on the other side of that as well, you can maybe hear some teachers that say, you don't need to... You don't need to think about any of this stuff at all. You just need to you know, practice and develop samadhi. And again, this is limited. What we, you know, unsurprisingly, anybody that's listened to my talks, you'll know you need a balance of these things. You need a balance between the development of Dhammavichya and the development of, of samadhi as well. And the two really do work together. It's like, it's like if you're trying to develop health in some way, um, you know, you can, you can, you, if you want to develop health, you have to, you know, exercise and eat right. You know, you can just do one or the other. It's fine. You know, you can, you, um, but you, you won't get as healthy as if you did both of them together. You know, you can just like go to the gym and lift lots of weights and all these kinds of things, but then continue to eat like fast food and all these kinds of things. So, but you're still going to, you're going to have like different internal you know, problems at that time if you do that. Likewise, on the other side of that, if you just like eat salads and uh, a healthy and healthy food kind of thing, it's like and you but you don't exercise, you won't have any strength to 
actually do anything that you want to do. So it's better to develop both of these things together. And it's the same with your meditation. You develop these kinds of uh, 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 you know, states of, of calm and loving kindness, and you develop your metta, and you develop these things. But you also really do need to develop your wisdom as well, and you need to do this as a part of your formal practice because if you only develop one or the other you won't you just you're not going to progress as well if you just develop like calm in the mind or peace and stillness in the mind you know there's nothing wrong with this but like when the kind of the the problems and the the issues of the world come in it's just going to like smash that to pieces because you have no wisdom to actually deal deal with the the problems that are in the that become in the mind. But likewise, if you just develop wisdom, you know, then when some kind of problems come, you have no stability there. You have no, no, no tranquility there to actually deal with it. So it just ends up like throwing you around all over the place. So again, we really need to develop both. And again, what we're trying to develop is not just not just knowledge about a topic, not just more information about a particular kind of Dhamma theme. Remember what Dhamma Vichir is, it's, it's investigating Nama Rupa, it's investigating states. It's, you know, so it's clearly understanding materiality and mentality, it's, it's clearly understanding the mind and the body. This is what Dhamma Vichir should be leading you to, this is what is so important about Dhamma Vichira. It allows us to understand who we are and allows us to understand your experience. We have a tendency to want to always find, more, find out more information. We want to find something else out. We want to listen to another Dhamma talk and actually you know, gain something from that. And there's, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with that, but where you'll find the Dhamma, it's not in any one of these places again it's in it's in this 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 sphere that you inhibit of your own your own mind and your own body this is where you understand the dhamma we can you know if we do this this is this is what is actually going to lead us to progress in the dhamma it's not about it's not about listening to another talk it's not about you know reading another sutta it's not about it's not about like you know really trying to work out exactly what the Buddha was talking about. It's not really about the Buddha can't like transmute the Dhamma to you in some kind of way with some kind of mind seal, or a, or a teacher can't like give you the Dhamma, uh, or you can't just like find it somewhere. It's it comes about when you investigate your own experience. It comes about when you investigate. Nama and Rupa within yourself and this is when we start to start to realize that this thing that we're attached to this whole faculty of Nama Rupa this is just a changing phenomena this is something this in a constant process this thing that we th this constructed thing that we think is ourselves that we think is me this mind and body we start to see that this is just impermanent and this is just merely just a construct. And the more you understand this construct in its deeper and deeper forms, this is the closer you actually get to actually experience the Dhamma and seeing the Dhamma, because this is where the Dhamma is. 
this is where you investigate the Dhamma. You investigate the Dhamma within yourself. So that's why that's why Dhamma Vichya is so important, developing Dhamma Vichya. You're developing this faculty of looking into your own mind and your own body, and this is such an important part of the practice, and this is really actually what leads you closer and closer to the Dhamma. So maybe with that, that's probably that's probably enough of of, of me talking. Uh, hopefully, the things that I've said, hopefully it's it's been helpful in some way. Hopefully, you've gained some kind of benefit from it, um, uh, uh, and hopefully, it will be the cause for you to uh, you know, investigate your own mind and your own body a lot more. Uh, and you know, if there is any sort of questions, now is probably a good time to ask questions, uh, or, or any any sort of clarifications you may need, or any kind of Disagreements. I I I I I like disagreements. So yeah, you're more than welcome to throw any of those out there now. Thank you, Ajahn. Is there any questions from our uh, Zoom audience? We've got a couple of people on our Zoom audience. I'll throw to them first. No. Um, yes, I'd like to ask a question or just seek some. Clarification, please. Yep. James, is it? James Doyle. Yep. Um, when you say it's not a matter of another teaching, another lecture, or another um, activity, hmm. am I correct in saying, and you say you've got to investigate the Dharma within yourself, hmm. is that the same? Would I be correct in saying that as you live your life on a day-to-day -day basis, being aware of how you interact with people um, to be engaged in a love, as best you can, loving kindness type of behaviour, yeah. rather than hiding away from the world mm. in say, another meditation or another lecture. Is that, rather, is that what you're saying? The, yeah, in a way, there's an aspect of both there. It's um, you you're developing a kind of wisdom where you're you're developing a kind of wisdom where you're you know obviously yeah you're understanding your existence a bit better and you're ex understanding your uh, your you know your interactions with people and you're developing more of those good qualities of the mind. But it, you know sp specifically what I was meaning there when I was saying. Uh, that it's it's sort of not just in another teaching. It's m more what I'm trying to was trying to get at when I was saying that is is you can't just sort of like look in another book to understand your own experience. You can't just uh, listen to another teaching and understand more about your own mind. This is really a process that you have to look in towards yourself. This is something. Uh, where you have to, in a way, the thing that you want to study, you could say, is you want to study your own mind and your own body. And uh, you can do that throughout the day by, as you said, like going about your day and, and you know, with your interactions and, and understanding. I was like, oh, well, this is how, this is how my, you know, my mind is in this moment. And this is how kind I am at this moment. But then, but then also, again, making that a part of your formal practice as well. Having this, this uh, developing the skill of developing dhamma vichya of you know investigating your own you know body and your own mind, doing that as part of your formal practice as well. So yeah, again, so it's it's not just it's not just like finding out more information and finding more facts and and being able to quote another teaching. It's about 
actually investigating your own experience. And that's, that's sort of the most important part of it. So when you say investigate your own experience, like in the moment when things are happening, is it a question of looking at, well, am I excited? Am I sad? Am I happy? Am I fearful? Are those the sort of questions I need to be asking? You can, yeah, yeah. And um, you can look at your own experience in that way and and it's it's potentially it's potentially not asking am i excited am i you know fearful am i this uh, all these kinds of things it's trying to observe those states for exactly what they are and just seeing them as impermanent that's what you you know should be trying to do but again um, you know, investigating investigating your states in this way. There's 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 nothing there's nothing wrong with it. That you can do that. You can investigate these things in the moment. Totally nothing. Totally nothing at all wrong with that. But uh, just having that having that point with the caveat of like it's it's hard to always look at your states because you're always looking out through them. Yeah. You know the the fear. You know the fear that you're having in the mind at the mo at that point in time. You can watch the fear, but you're always like looking out through that fear. So it has it has the capacity to deceive you and trick you a little bit more. So that's why doing things like investigating the body and stuff it's it's a very good practice to do. As I said though, all the states. Yes, you can do that in your in your daily in your daily life. What what would be what would be a better question to ask? Or how would be a way to go about investigating the states of the mind and the body? Mm. Potentially a better way to go about it is, is instead of going, well, why am I feeling fearful or why am I feeling excited or why am I feeling happy? Instead, trying to investigate it more in this sense of this is something that's impermanent. You know, this is impermanent. This is this is just a state. This is just a state. This is a wholesome state, or this is an unwholesome state. This is something that's impermanent. This is a this is a this is a superior state. Um, did we sign out? Sorry, we just we just gotta keep going. Okay. Sorry, we just got to sign up. It said that we'd signed out, but we hadn't actually signed out. Um, a superior, like a invest investigating a superior state. You know, the mind is wholesome or good, or it's in samadhi, but this is impermanent. Um, or it's a or it's a inferior state. There's greed, there's anger, there's delusion. Again, this is impermanent. So instead of trying to track the state back and think, you know, why am I? Why am I? fearful, why am I greedy, why am I deluded at this point in time, trying to investigate it more from this state of this is just an impermanent phenomena. This is something that's impermanent. That's usually a, 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 a bit more of a safer way to look at these states. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much. Right. Thanks, James. Nice to actually speak to somebody asking a question. So, yeah, anybody else that wants to... Yeah, speak and ask the question. We're more than happy to do that. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, the next, we have another question on Zoom from Karen. Karen, yep. do you want to Karen? unmute yourself and ask Ajahn your question? Yes, is that all right? Can you hear me? Yes, can hear you now. Oh, okay, great. 
I've, I've learned uh, that I need to talk louder when I'm on Zoom. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to like be calmer, but on Zoom, I have to yell. <laughs> you're, you're, um, I, I, I speak really loud as well. So like, it's, it's fine. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, can, you can be restrained and speak loud. It's <laughs> Okay, right. It depends on, on the words you're using, true, right? True. The harsh speech. So I'm wondering, I, I'm, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm, Pretty new to Buddhism, mm. and I actually listened to um, a couple nights ago a Dharma talk uh, that had been recorded by um, Ajahn. Uh, I was going to say Tiramisu, Tiradhamma. Tiradhamma, yep, yep. Yeah, and um, he was talking about um, uh, like noticing. Uh, um, I'm going to say like uh, your 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 delusions uh, or whatnot, you know, just having the aha moment. Yep. And I was, it was interesting. I was, um, it was about basically about view. It was mostly about view. Yep. And um, so I was in a situation and I have a history of being right. I'm right. You're wrong. Yep. And uh, a lot of anger. And so yesterday is funny. I've been very, very angry at my landlord anyway. Yep. And I was in my mind, they're awful, and and if you think they're not, you're wrong. Yep. They're awful, and you just don't know mm. that they're awful. Um, and so I was having a conversation with the, another tenant, a neighbor, um, doing a, a kind thing for them, so mm. you know, working on that mm. and being a good neighbor. And so that was going really well. And uh, she and I am trying to not um, gossip, and so I was listening to her. And it was funny, she was talking about the a previous manager who she thought was great, that I thought was awful. Mm. And I and I caught myself, I wanted to say, no, no, you just don't know that she was really awful. Mm. And I and I caught myself and I that was I had one of those aha moments where it was like you. Yeah. You know, like the the diff the blind men talk touching the different parts yep. of the elephant. I always it also became very clear to me. That I have my view and, and she has her view and yep. that teaching became very clear. To me. So I'm just wondering if that is part of what you're talking about. It can, yeah, it can be a part of what I'm talking about. That that would it would probably more likely. Sorry, um, it probably would more likely fall under that level of investigating investigating the states that are in the mind so say yeah uh, the kind of the kind of view that you're speaking about there it's that that would be more you could say like a, a yeah uh, potentially it depends on the situation you're in but it could be a more uh, unwholesome kind of view that you have at that period of time could be a wholesome view you know maybe your maybe your landlord is is a terrible person i don't know <laughs> it's, it's I, well i just meant um, be noticing what your mind is doing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we can we can notice what the mind is doing. There's 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 definitely that aspect of that. But this, having this having this understanding as well that okay, we can notice what the mind is doing, but sometimes when we notice what the mind is, it still does it. It's still yeah, you get caught in this kind of view of like I'm right, you're wrong. Okay, I'm noticing that I'm thinking that I'm right and you're wrong, but I'm st I still think that I'm right and you're wrong, and you're definitely wrong. And then like uh, you know, I have all these reasons why I'm right, but I'm still noticing that I'm right and you're wrong. You can just sort of like keep sort of spiraling, spiraling with that. 
So that's why, that's why when we do notice these views, trying to instead, instead of just noticing the view, trying to reflect, you know, again, wisely reflecting, having right mindfulness, reflecting that this is, this is something that's impermanent. This is something that is just arises and it passes away. This feeling that I'm right. This isn't, this isn't something like tangible or real. This is just a, a thought that's come up in the mind. This is just something that's appeared now. It's, it's sort of like right in the focus of me, but it'll disappear. So seeing it as impermanent, like trying to, trying to see it more in, in that way, instead of just, again, instead of just trying to, having this feeling of, uh, I'm just observing the view, you know, that's, there's the trap, there's the trap in that because you're always looking out through the view, trying to look back at the view yourself. So it can be tricky in that way, again, and that's where you get sort of like stuck in that like kind of hamster wheel of, hamster wheel of, you know, I, my view is like this. So we observe the view, yes, but we also try to observe the view and have a wise reflection towards it of that this is something that is impermanent. This is this is just this is just a thought that's arisen in the mind. This is something that will drop away. So, but yeah, you, you have to develop you know, both those capacities: the capacity to observe, but also the capacity to reflect on it, and then the capacity to actually like let go of it as well. And then, like for me to, to all of a sudden realize that my view isn't the only view. Sorry. Like th that that I became. Um, my delusion became clearer mm, mm, that mm. where I could see that I've been incorrect, that my view is not the only view. And yep. You have your view mm. and I have my view and that doesn't make either of us right or wrong. Mm. So I, I just became a, a bit clearer about yeah, yeah. delusions. Yeah. You know, I'm just kind of wondering, and I completely understand that if you're looking through your grief, trying to look at it back at you, how do you get out of that loop? How do you get clear? How do you get clear vision? Mm, mm. And then I'll, I'll stop now. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. No, it's it's good. Um, yeah. Oh, so what what you're doing is you know you know. Firstly, what you ask is like you, you've noticed that you're sort of deluded kind of thing, and so the it sort of gives you a bit of space there, and that, that it's a good thing. There's 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 totally totally nothing wrong with that. You're doing, you know that that is that is you know much better than sort of operating under your delusion. <laughs> it's it's a it's a much better thing to be doing, but it's it's sort of like a it's like a like a small break. It's like it's like you know the 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 vehicle is like careening at like a hundred and fifty kilometers, and you've like touched the brake kind of thing. You've slowed down a little bit, but the vehicle is still sort of like careening out of control. So, again, developing that kind of developing that faculty of okay, well, I can see that I'm sort of deluded in this way, or that I'm falling under this kind of delusion, and but then. On top of that, actually trying to trying to actually investigate and and seeing, you know, seeing your delusion as impermanent, seeing the thoughts that you have that are as impermanent, seeing the views that you have are impermanent, trying to trying to not only observe it and understand it and have a bit of like clarity into it. Again, that's a good thing, but then also reflecting on it as well. Um, the 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 talk I gave a couple of weeks ago about putting in effort, you know, that we actually do have to. We actually do actually 
actively have to try to change the content of our mind in some state. If we realize that, it's an, that it is an unwholesome state that's in the mind, we should be trying to develop more wholesome states that are in the mind. So if we realize that we're sort of deluded in this way, and we do sort of put the brakes on a little bit, yeah, it's good. But again, trying to develop more of these wholesome states in the mind by you know, viewing, viewing our views as, as just something that's impermanent. And so that's, yeah, hopefully that answered the second, the second part of your question, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good, no, no problem, thanks. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. We have, um, at this point, six questions on the live chat. Okay. And about so 20 many, so minutes So many questions left. today. So yes. many questions today. You've stirred up a lot of interest, Ajahn, yeah, good, in good. the community today. Yeah. Um, so I'll get through these. So we have maybe three minutes per question. Okay. Rapid fire. See how you go. Um, the first one is about, um, from one of your regular followers. All right. Um, when I'm meditation... When I get into meditation, I'm just going to summarize because yep. the question has been coming in a few parts. Yep. But uh, I get very deeply into meditation. Nothing can get me out of my meditation, yep. even death. Yep. Should I let Dhamma pop up and start investigating? Mm. Um, and then we asked for a clarification on that. And it came back, essentially, when I get into deep meditation, even if a snake was near me, I'm not going to get out yep. of my meditation because yep. I'm so calm. Mm. Um, I feel... There's no fear in me. Mm. I don't care if I'm going to die. Yep. Mm -mm. Yeah. So there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with staying in those states of stillness. As I said, as I said, as part of the talk, you know, the wisdom wisdom developing samadhi and samadhi developing wisdom. You have to let the mind rest in that period of calm. You have to let it rest, and then when it does naturally naturally come out of the calm that's when you can start to investigate more you the mind sort of like uh if you if you try to pull the mind out of that those levels of calm then you it's it's like your it's like your say for example instead of getting like eight hours sleep at night it's like somebody wakes you up up after half an hour and you don't you know you don't quite get enough sleep you don't get enough rest and so then you don't function that well. So if we are in those kinds of levels of calm and we can get into the level of calm, we just wait till it comes back out again, comes back out again, and then we start to investigate. On the flip side of that, if we're noticing all we're doing is staying in calm for long periods of time and we're not just, you know, we're not investigating at all and we're just, you know, um, and, you know, where you're sort of neglecting that part of the practice, then we can actually come back a little bit more and go, okay, well, you know, maybe for this session, instead of uh, instead of developing calm in the mind, okay, I use this session more to investigate the body, or um, you know, and so instead of going for uh, going for like well, watching like anapanasati or something, watching the breath. Okay, well, I'm going to investigate the body. That's and that's what I'll do, and I'll stay on that kind of, and I'll stay on that. And so, we just sort of have to realize if we are sort of getting too carried away and everything's just getting calm for a long period of time, and we're not sort of developing, we can instead of trying to go for calm, actually try to go for more wisdom kind of thing. Thanks. Okay. Next, next question. It was a bit. Thank you, Ajahn. The there is actually another question in Zoom. Um, yep. Supiato, do you want to unmute yourself if you haven't already and ask the question? You ask your question. Thank you. 
Yes, thank you. Um, yes, Ajahn. Um, my questions is related to uh, what Karen asked. Yep. In, um, yeah, I work in a factory and yes, uh, at work, we relate to others and yep. there is also rules that we need to observe. Yep. Yeah. And there is right and wrong. Yep. And um, I... And uh, I came across with one of the Dharma uh, uh, at BSV, and one of the Dharma talk was about the uh, Kalanya uh, Mitra yep. as a friend. Yep. And in the friendship, there is a... Um, I don't recall it very well but in one of in the sutta it says that there is an ethics we need to observe ethics mm. Mm. and there are all there are also some other points mm. um yeah if do uh, if ajan can explain it explain that a bit more mm. so i i so just so just so I understand your question properly. So are you asking? Are you asking? Uh, I, I suppose that I like to ask Ajahn to uh, discuss about the the dharma about friendship. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's uh, if we the Buddha did say uh, developing a kalyanamitta is is a very important part of the holy life and and what in a way what that sort of means is is we associate with good friends that are also practicing dhamma uh that are that are having that do have the 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 you, you could say like a similar kind of view similar kind of worldview but then also uh i think maybe what maybe gets to your question as well is like they have we have the like the same kind of ethical framework as other people maybe maybe in your job maybe other people don't have the same kind of ethical standard that you don't want to uh, that, that you that you want to adhere to, like they might be different. They might want to do things that you think are maybe you know ethically not so great. So, having associating with people that are that do have the same level of uh, ethicality as you is 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 very important because it supports you. Because there's times where you you want to do the you know you want to do the, the the things that aren't so ethical. So they you're having good friends can sort of pull you in that direction where you can be more ethical and you can practice the Dharma and you can practice these spiritual qualities. But that's not to say that's not to say that you can't like you can't be friends with these other people that maybe don't have the same kind of ethics as you. It's you know it's 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 fine. Like not everybody's gonna follow the Buddhist path. Not everybody's gonna follow the five precepts. That's you know it's totally fine. But as long as you don't get sort of like dragged down with them they don't they don't sort of like drag you down to that different level of uh ethical conduct that you that you don't feel comfortable with so for you know for me it's like i i i have plenty of plenty of friends from like my lay life um and people in my family they don't keep the five precepts that you know it's fine i still talk to them i'm still friendly with them i still um uh still enjoy i still enjoy their company but you know i'm not going to go out and do the 
the things with them that I that I that I think are sort of going against my ethicality, and so I do have this other group of friends, these other Kalyana Mitters that support me in what I actually really want to do in my life. But it doesn't mean that you need can you have to like throw those people away. You can still be friends with them, but just sort of don't follow them too much. Does that answer the question? Yes. I, I think I think I've been to your back backdrop as well. I think I I think I've actually been to that place. Uh, that I, is, it's, yeah, uh, it's the old. It's yep. I've been there. I've been there. Yes. Uh, Bodhi, Bodhian, uh, Bodhivana yep. Bodhivana Monastery yep. in East Warburton. Yes. Yeah. But that that statue isn't there anymore. Oh, isn't there anymore? No. It's that that statue is now in Adelaide. Ah. Oh. So your yeah you know, yeah you know, yeah you know, your. Yep. Yeah, it has been a long time. I haven't, I haven't been there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. but that's you're yeah, right. That's at the Bodhivana Monastery. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Okay. Another okay. question. Thank you, Ajahn. Sure. The next question is from the YouTube live chat again. Mm. How can I get over the fear of driving? I've had fear something might happen, such as a seizure, though I've never experienced a seizure. Mm. Not driving makes me feel useless and alone, and I'm missing out on chances. Mm. They probably mean driving a car. Yeah. Mm. One, um, it's probably, uh, you know, I, I don't know your, I don't know your personal health. Um, you know, maybe, maybe if you if you are sort of like prone to having seizures and things like this it's it's definitely a, a a good a good worry to have if you've ever had them before um and that it could be haven't actually had them okay well if you haven't sort of had them it's a good thing to keep in the one good thing to keep in the back of the mind <laughs> you know potentially there could be sort of hazards when you're actually driving a car um we i think you know i i think we sort of like we get into cars too willy-nilly there's so many car accidents and it's it's yeah, it's 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 actually not the like the, the safest thing that we actually do, and we do all these other things that that are, that are not so safe, and we're okay with them. But anyway, that's another story. But um, so it's it's okay to have these worries in the back of our mind, but then we also sort of have you have to live your life as well. Um, so there is, like I talked about, like I talked about in this talk, there is this aspect of our existence that is that it is going to end. You know, the, the bod this body that we actually have, it's going to, at some point, it's going to pass away. It, it's going to, um, it, we're not going to have this anymore. And so there's a fear, there's a fear we have of looking at this, this body is the fear that we have that we, that we are actually going to die. And so if you, if you actually sort of realize that and you start to realize, you start to understand the body in a little bit better detail, then you still have to live your life. It's not like, okay, well, I've investigated the, I investigated my body now and I know that it's going to die, so I just I don't do anything anymore and I just sort of like stay at home on the couch and sort of like wrap myself up and I'm not going to move anywhere. You still have to live your life. Like, you, know, you still have to go out. You still have to go get groceries. You still have to go, like, you have to, still have to go to work. You still have to go and visit family. You still have to do a lot of these things. So everything that we do in life, has some kind of risk in it, like everything. And it's like I, I, I walk out the front here. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I could like get hit by a car. It's um, you know, 
everything that we do in life carries some kind of risk. And so driving a car is just something else that we do with some kind of risk. So we just sort of have to, we have to try to accept that there is a risk involved in any of the things, but we still have to do that. But again, know your limitations. If you are, if you do have health problems and you get dizzy or something, maybe you shouldn't be driving and things like that. So caveat that with your actual physical health and knowing knowing uh, your physical health and, and knowing when it's safe to drive and when it's not safe to drive. And But if you are safe to drive and it is just a fear, you just sort of have to accept that there are sort of risks in life and you just have to you know, go past those and still continue to live your life. So hopefully that answers the, the question in the most safe and legal way possible. <laughs> Thank you, Ajahn. Um, just as we're running out of time, I might just prioritize these questions. For sure. So excuse me if I'm not reading in order if you have put a question in. Um, someone has written, I battle with delusion on a daily basis um, the mind throws terror and fear thoughts, and, and fear thoughts fly regularly. Mm. I am using Ajahn Brahm's reflection of not mine. Mm. It has been very useful. Mm. Um, do you suggest any other methods I can use? If, you, if you're sort of battling with terror and fear on a daily basis... Um, then, and if you, if you do find this aspect of this, this thing is not mine, if you, if you find this thing is working, like stay with that, whatever, whatever is actually working, try to, try to stay with that as much as possible. Um, if you, if there is this aspect of, of, of terror and fear that's, that's, that's coming up quite regularly, that's that's sort of like it's it's obviously it's tilting the mind in this very very kind of negative negative way a very sort of unwholesome state of the mind so again you have to try to develop those more wholesome states of mind try trying to develop things like loving kindness trying to develop things like gratitude trying to develop some kind of you know, like uh, joy in in some of the things that are in the world joy in having a good spiritual friends trying to maybe, you know, trying to develop those more sort of like positive aspects of the mind. But, you know, if you find that this kind of this not mind thing is, is working well, like stay, you know, stay with that, continue to do it, continue to try to actually like uh, see through this kind of delusion. Um, because it, it's, it's not a, it's not a, obviously it's probably not a very nice state to be in. So, you know, whatever, whatever you can do, but, you know, maybe try to develop more of these, uh, you know, my advice, maybe just try to develop more of these like wholesome things like loving kindness, gratitude, um, um, and these kinds of qualities. And maybe that can like help balance it a little bit better. Thank you, Rajan. Uh, our next question is, um, I work with children mm. who have anger management issues. Mm. I've tried to settle eight-year-olds with mm. breath focus, but mm. when they are in a full angry state, I can't break through. Any suggestions, please, Ajahn? Any legal suggestions? Any legal suggestions, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for, I forget I'm on the internet sometimes. I was like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, they're kids. 
like you know kids are going to get angry like you do what you can with them obviously yeah you, you try to teach them these techniques but they're still you know they're still not developed properly so you so you know you also do have to accept that they're going to get angry um if they do have if they do actually have like actual anger management issues and they do have that kind of like clinical level of anger management issues yes you just have to sort of recognize that that's going to happen with them um, you teach them the techniques that you can but sort of accept that as well and don't react you yourself don't react too much to them with with your own anger um, trying to feed that off if they are just sort of like normal kids that are getting angry, so well, again, normal kids get angry as as well. So again, you have to sort of accept that that they're eight years old and it's like they don't have the full control over their you know the, their emotional range. So you, you, you know the breath thing, doing doing uh, getting them to focus on the breath, it is a good it is a good thing. But then also as well, just sort of accepting it's like you're not going to win every battle with them. You, it's not a f uh, having them observe the breath. It's not this like fail-safe thing that's going to fix everything about them. It's something that they they need to be given tools to continue to deal with the anger that they've got. And this is a long-term thing. It's not sort of something that's going to be fixed with you know you know five minutes of breath meditation. You just have to keep working with them. Be kind. Be compassionate with them. Don't sort of feed into their anger. Um, yeah, and and just sort of do do the best you can, and just like, yeah. Thank you, Rajan. Are there any more questions on Zoom? No, at this, not at this point. So then, our last question. Mm. I feel this has been answered, but maybe you just want to um, just briefly summarise. Yeah. Uh, the question is: to understand Dhamma Vichaya, don't you have to first meditate and develop your samadhi? Please explain. So maybe just yeah, clarifying yeah. that again. For sure, for sure. Well, yeah, like to develop Dhamma Vichaya, it's it's a part of your practice as well. It's 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 another skill that you develop. So like you're developing the skill of developing samadhi, you also need to develop the skill of developing Dhamma Vichaya. And so there it's not that you develop one first and then you do the other. It's that you have to develop them together. You have to develop them in in tandem. You, the more that you develop one, and if you are developing the other one as well, it will strengthen. It will strengthen the other one. So if you develop samadhi to a strong extent, and you develop dhammavichya, your dhammavichya will be stronger. But the stronger you develop the dhammavichya, again, this will lead to calm. So this will lead to deeper states of samadhi. So. It's not like you have to, okay, I need jhanas first or whatever it is before I do any kind of dhammavichya. It's not like that. You, you, you work with whatever you've got. Whatever kind of level of calm that you actually can get in the mind, that's the level of dhammavichya that you sort of have to, that you'll be investigating. If you've got very deep levels of calm, then you can have very deep levels of dhammavichya. If you haven't got very deep levels of calm, maybe your dhammavichya will maybe be a little bit sort of surface level, but that's fine. That's what you've got to work with. It's it's sort of like, you know, these these are the tools that you actually have. You know, instead of going, well, I'm not going to, you know, I, I only have a hammer, uh, I, so I can't like build a house or whatever it is. You know, you. 
So you just sort of sit there and you don't try to do anything. I've only got a hammer and I've only got a nail and I've only got some wood, but I can't build a house. I need like a drop saw and I need a, you know, I need a, like a, a concrete truck and all these kinds of things. Work with what you've got. If you've got, if you've got a hammer, you've got some nails, you've got a little bit of wood, just start. Start building. The more you start building, the closer you'll actually get to develop to building this thing that you want to you want to build a house or whatever it is. Likewise, with your with your dhammavichaya, whatever level of samadhi that you've got, use that. Just just use that whatever you've got to develop the dhammavichaya. And you know, the more you do it, the more both will start to feed off each other. The more samadhi that you actually have the more Dhammavichaya will become clearer and clearer. The clearer the Dhammavichaya you have, the more Samadhi you'll actually get. So they work together. So don't sort of neglect one and just do the other. You have to do both together. And whatever level you're at, that's just the level you're at, and that's the level that you work with. Thank you very much, Ajahn. That was the last question. Good timing. Okay, so if with that, I'd like to thank everybody for, for coming today. I'd like to thank you all for asking so many questions. I can, it's good you ask more questions. I, I can give shorter talks. That's a, that's a, that's a, I can be more succinct. I can, <laughs> so I, 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 I really like this. I encourage you to ask lots and lots of questions. It's very good. It's, it's nice to um, actually see some people as well and, and, and chat in this way. It's, it's a very good thing. So I encourage you to um, join in in this way. Um, and again, you know, no great, no, no great sort of uh, announcements at the moment. But tomorrow night, the meditation at seven thirty, and I'm doing it, so I should know more about it. So, and we'll be running the Zoom as well. So you're more than welcome to sort of uh, uh, join in either on YouTube or on on the Zoom side of things. So, uh, with that, I'd like to wish you the best. Hopefully, hopefully you the what we've talked about today has been uh, helpful for you. So I wish you all the best. I wish you all the uh, all progress in the Dhamma.